Oh, my friends, we are fucked. Deliciously, unreservedly, catastrophically fucked. And not the good kind. We'll traverse this audio journey together to upend conventional wisdom, blow up narratives on the left, right, and middle, and use magical devices like facts, logic, and reason to explain how exactly we arrived in Bizarro America, the funhouse mirror version of what was originally intended. I have found myself more and more fully committed to being ungovernable. We'll examine exactly how and why we're fucked. You want to claim this land is the land of the free? Then the symbol of your country cannot just be a flag. Dig into why we can't seem to unfuck ourselves. Perhaps it might be better, Mr. President, if you were more concerned with the American people than with your image in a history book. Ask why we settle for leaders who fuck us over. Please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. And see if we can unfuck things just a bit, all by ourselves. I do think that as long as you continue looking at things through that old patriarchal Cartesian Atonian lens, you're going to miss out on what the world really is. Welcome to Unfucking the Republic, or the safe for work version and for the kids at home, UNFTR. Actually, the liberal use of the word fuck throughout this show makes this wholly unsuitable for children, so never mind. So what is this? I'm glad you asked. Long story short, and as you've no doubt observed, our little republic is fucked on so many levels. The central objective of this podcast, however, isn't to prove how fucked we are, but to show that we're fucked in ways that we haven't really considered. The blame for our predicament is evenly distributed across the political spectrum, with corporate media and lobbyists fanning the flames every step of the way. So don't think that this will be so one-sided. I spent more than a decade as a political writer and columnist highlighting the disconnect between policy and reality. And I never imagined back then just how much worse things could get until the 2016 election, when the ultimate charlatan won the hearts and minds, well, hearts at least, of so many disenfranchised Americans who were willing to light a match and blow up the system. The Electoral College, designed by the founders to protect against dangerous populists and install, to quote Alexander Hamilton, a man who is not in eminent degree endowed with the requisite qualifications, quite ironically, delivered us a dangerous populist who lost the popular vote by nearly three million and just happens to possess zero requisite qualifications to run the country. And I said to myself, this is the business we've chosen. And even though a majority of Americans voted for Hillary Clinton, the stubborn fact remains that the electoral system designed to protect the interests of all Americans gave birth to a highly volatile authoritarian regime fueled by corporate interests and normalized by right-wing news organizations that give credence to dark web conspiracies. And here we are, on the eve of yet another bizarre contest. How this one ends is anyone's guess. And I'm not talking about the outcome of the election. I'm speaking about our reaction to it one way or another and what needs to be done to undo the damage done to the United States over the past several decades. Yes, decades. Because Trump is just the tip of the pus-filled zit that Dr. Pimple Popper is waiting to bust open. What's underneath is years of toxic mucus packed in by lobbyists, greedy, whoremongering politicians, and some really conniving figures in the shadows that have successfully hijacked the American political consciousness 
and turned us against our own self-interests. Pretty lofty goal for a podcast to try and unpack decades of bullshit, but hopefully you'll find it as cathartic as I do to get it all out and begin to see things for what they are and not what we've been sold. Before we go back, let's benchmark where we are today by talking about 2016. I've just received a call from Secretary Clinton. She congratulated us, it's about us, on our victory. And I congratulated her and her family on a very, very hard-fought campaign. I mean, she, she fought very hard. Trump's supporters in 2016 fell generally into four categories. One, you love the guy. I mean, genuinely love him. How he carries himself, what he stands for, and the things he says and does. Two, you really dislike Hillary Clinton. Intellectually, you might have even thought that she was more prepared for the job, but her emails, Benghazi, pantsuits, her lecherous husband, whatever. Three, you're a dyed-in-the-wool Republican, and this is the guy you got. You had faith in your party to put bumpers in his lane so he wouldn't throw gutter balls, but you're not really sure how this all happened. Nevertheless, you pull R straight down the line and you'll be damned if you're gonna change. The fourth category is the outlier and kind of new to the political scene. I call it the fuck it, light a match, I hate them all, what's the worst that can happen vote? Well, now you know. And if you identify with two through four, this podcast might be for you. Now running against the con artist this time around, we have Hillary, chapter two, in the form of an old familiar face. Joe Biden. Yeah. Uncle Joe doesn't inspire the same visceral level of disdain that Hillary did for some. In fact, Uncle Joe doesn't inspire really much of anything other than he'll do. I think it's fair to say that despite the anti-Hillary vitriol against her, Hillary Clinton had more enthusiastic support than Biden has been able to muster. And for this, I look at little things like, I don't know, crowds and signs and bumper stickers, and I sure don't see many riding with Biden stickers. There are still a few I'm with her stickers, and a fuck ton of Trump stickers, though. So the Hillary and Biden supporters fall along similar lines in my mind, minus the fourth, fuck it, let's see what happens persona. One, you just love Joe Biden. I have a friend, Jamie, who has always loved him, and it's just her thing. So they exist. Two, you're a dyed-in-the-wool Democrat, and you go blue down the line every time. Three, you hate Donald Trump, and would sooner burn your own hair than vote for this idiot. If you're in camp two or three, then this is also for you. Although Jamie might dig this podcast, so maybe all three categories apply. Bottom line, if you're dug into one side so deep you can't see the other, then unfucking the Republic is likely just partisan noise that provides no discernible benefit. This is not an echo chamber. We won't reinforce any existing beliefs or throw chum into the water to attract sharks. It's an attempt to unpack the biases behind our political divide, unearth the deep disconnect we have between policy and reality, and to delve into how exactly we arrived at this point in our history when we're being asked to choose between the frying pan and the fire to determine our collective fate. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress, the hate of men who will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. So let's talk about the Trump phenomenon. 
In a self-proclaimed democracy of flag-waving, constitution-hugging, God-fearing renegades who still see themselves as the embodiment of Puritan work ethic and the frontier spirit, it's a little difficult to understand the allure of a feckless authoritarian. It's considered obscene these days, of course, to compare Adolf Hitler to pretty much anyone unless we're talking about Pol Pot or Stalin. Cries of current leaders being Hitler-esque are often met with appropriate rebuke. But the idea of an authoritarian leader rising to power on certain principles that otherwise offend a population's natural feelings of basic decency bears some exploration. See, long before Hitler aspired to political office, he was a painter, and a bad one. His attempts to become an artist in Vienna partially and bizarrely led to his antipathy toward Jews. He made wild claims of his bravery in World War I when historians have uncovered that he saw very little action. He was likely awarded the Iron Cross for being affable. Sort of like the best sportsman award to the worst athlete on a team. He was about five foot nine, had dark hair, and was addicted to opiates. But he rose to power by promoting an image that was completely antithetical to the one he portrayed. Tall, blonde, pure, athletic, and brave. This was the image he sold to the world, despite being short, dark-haired, drug-addicted, and rather unathletic. Donald Trump's inconsistencies are even more radical, believe it or not. First, there's the premise that he's wildly successful due to his business acumen. Those of us from New York knew this to be patently untrue because he's essentially been unbankable for years. There's a Fortune article in 2015 that examined his alleged $4 billion net worth, which is, of course, completely unsubstantiated in and of itself, and projected that he had the now president invested his 1987 inheritance in index funds. His net worth would be around $13 billion. My father gave me a very small loan in 1975, and I built it into a company that's worth many, many billions of dollars with some of the greatest assets in the world. And I say that only because that's the kind of thinking that our country needs. Our country's in deep trouble. Our country's in deep trouble. In fact, since striking out on his own, he's shut down 13 companies and bankrupted six others. That's almost twice the average number of jobs a working person has in their lifetime in this country. Then there are the soft factors Americans tend to seek in selecting a leader toughness, literacy, leadership skills, ethics, faith, stability. Here again, Donald Trump fails the American litmus test on every level, bar none. He dodged the draft, admits he never reads, cannot retain talent in his organization, is considered one of the most unethical developers in New York even prior to a scandal-ridden presidency, claims to be Christian but has no understanding of scripture, has been divorced multiple times and was even caught cheating with a porn star while his current wife was pregnant with their son. And he has no firm policy beliefs other than tax avoidance is legal and smart. I spent years criticizing the Obama administration and some of its policies. But if we simply lined up the attributes that Americans, particularly Republicans, claim are important to them, Barack Obama is quite literally the perfect leader for them. He's athletic, erudite, accomplished, educated, Religious, faithful, unflinchingly stable, and completely devoid of scandal if you discount the whole tan suit incident. I'll go a step further and state that if you examine his policies and record, Barack Obama might be one of the greatest Republican presidents in our history. Why? Okay. Well, he sided with the banks during the financial crisis and insisted on no criminal indictments. He doubled down on the surveillance state and waged a war on whistleblowers to the extent that his Justice Department indicted more whistleblowers with the terrifying Espionage Act than every president combined. 
Guantanamo, though its population was greatly reduced, remained open, despite campaign promises to the contrary. He oversaw unconstitutional and extrajudicial strikes against several countries that we weren't at war with. He extended the Bush-era tax cuts for individuals and corporations, put more teeth into the Patriot Act by authorizing and then reauthorizing the National Defense Authorization Act and created a national health care system modeled on a Republican think tank plan that generated increased profits for private health care companies and insurers. Oh, and undocumented immigrants into the United States declined every year under Obama, earning him the nickname Deporter-in-Chief. So, when we talk about ideology in this country, particularly our notion of conservatism, we need to reestablish the baseline. Consider this. If Bernie Sanders was a European politician, he would be a moderate. In another episode, we'll talk about isms of all kind, communism, fascism, socialism, capitalism, and so on. Surveying social media, it's clearly evident that as a country, we have very little grasp of these fundamentals. Barack Obama's a communist. He's not. Trump is a true capitalist. He's not. Bernie's a socialist. He's not. Cuomo's a fascist. It... All right. Well, maybe a little. But again, not really in the ways you might think. But we've been losing our grasp on reality and understanding of how the world works for a long time. The scariest part of what's happening today is that Trump is succeeding in his singular mission to destroy the credibility of our institutions in order to promote his own version of the great man theory. The idea that he and only he is capable of saving us from the very illnesses that he's partially caused. It's his singular mission and his singular genius. We're living idiocracy as though it were a documentary. And the most insulting realization is that your vote counts as much as the person who thinks QAnon is a real leader and a real movement. The stupid have emerged as a discernible voting block in this country, which quite laughably is the very thing that many of the founding fathers, most notably James Madison, feared would happen. Throughout the show, I'll likely lay both sides of the political aisle to waste, but the most vituperative attacks will no doubt be reserved for the so-called Republicans who support Donald Trump. Their hypocrisy knows no boundaries. I don't really blame the uninformed voter who falls for conspiracy theories and swallows cable news stories whole. They're not doing their homework. They have no regard for context and are precisely the type of person who cannot be swayed by things like logic, facts, math. As for this podcast, my hope is to have some fun with some valuable insight that turns the tables on conventional wisdom, makes you question some of your own assumptions, as I've done over the years, and inspires you to think differently about this grand experiment of ours. Thanks for listening. Here endeth the lesson.